Before I read our scripture for this morning, I want to give you just a little bit of background for our story. Our story this morning has two main characters in it. One is King Ahab. He is the king of Israel, the king of God's people. But then he marries Jezebel, and the two of them decide to lead God's people into worshiping the idol Baal instead of God. The other main character is Elijah. And Elijah is the last faithful prophet of God. All the other prophets have gone into hiding or they've been killed. So right before this story starts, God sends Elijah to have a chat with Ahab. A showdown, if you will, between the two of them. Elijah goes and says they should invite all of Israel to come and watch. They will set up two altars, one to Baal and one to the God of Israel. Then they will call out to their gods and see which responds. Hear now the word of God that comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And then Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time so that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord Answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. In case you don't know, the churches in the United States are undergoing an exodus. There's really no other way to describe it. Every mainline Protestant denomination is suffering from it. The United Methodist Church lost 130,000 members in 2013. 
The PCUSA has been averaging about 100,000 a year. That's 270 people a day. In 1984, the PCUSA had 3.1 million members. Today, they have 1.6 million. The Catholic Church is losing six members for every one they gain. And it's not just in the United States. In England, the number of people declaring themselves as non-religious have passed Christians as the most common group. In France, they're roughly equal. Now, if you go down to the southern hemisphere, you'll find a different story where Christianity is exploding. But in the West, right here in the United States, it's an exodus. People are leaving. It used to be that young adults would leave until they had kids. Then they would come back. They wanted their kids to be raised in the church. Statistically, that's no longer true. People leave. They don't come back. It's an exodus, and it looks desperate. But looks can be deceiving. Our Bible story today reminds us that this has happened before. When Elijah is sent by God to confront these false prophets, he is the last of God's prophets. There are scattered believers in God here and there, and a lot of people who say they believe in the God of Israel, but they also believed in some other gods too, like Baal. Our story is about an exodus. God's people were leaving and they weren't coming back. They were finding other gods or they were staying home. And Elijah is the last prophet, a dirty old man in ratty clothes who's been living in the desert. God's plan for the world looks fragile. It looks desperate. But looks can be deceiving. Explanations for our current exodus have flooded the Internet and filled bookshelves. They're especially focused, and rightfully so, on young people. Where are they going and why? Is it because of the church's politics or style of worship? Is it what we believe or what we don't believe? Why is it that they keep leaving? Have you ever heard this question? You ask a room of people, which do you prefer, Coke or Pepsi? The breakdown's pretty even. Six of this, a half dozen of that. But if you ask a room full of people what they'd like to drink, do you know what the overwhelming answer is? Water. There was a study started in 2001 about youth and faith. They interviewed 3,500 13 to 18-year-olds and their parents. 350 of those were in-depth, in-person interviews. And then they re-interviewed those people again three years later and three years after that. Do you know what they found? Everyone had been asking, why are you mad at the church? And people had reasons. We all have reasons. But for the most part, youth aren't mad at the church. They like their church. They think the people who go to church are nice. They feel included. For the most part, youth think that church is a good thing. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. It's the wrong question. It looks like people are mad, but they're generally not. The reason they're leaving isn't because they're mad. The church exodus isn't part of this giant cultural fight, words and punches flying. You want to know why? It's in our story. So Elijah's standing there, just him, 
in front of him is the king of Israel, who is supposed to be God's representative. Well, he's clearly vacated that post. The man who should be a faithful representative to God has brought with him 450 prophets of Baal. 450 prophets. And then the crowd keeps growing, staring, watching. They came to see a contest. They came for a fight. 450 against one. They came for a slaughter. Then the challenge starts. The prophets of Baal build an altar. They begin walking around it, calling, crying out, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. And Elijah begins to taunt them. This one small, tired man from the desert, surrounded by a king and warriors and 450 prophets of Baal, starts to twist the knife a little bit. Where is your God? Is he sleeping? Is he on vacation? Maybe you should wake him up. Everyone here is getting a little bored. So the prophets of Baal start screaming, start cutting each other, begging Baal to see their sacrifice of blood and answer them. This should remind all of us, your idol is likely not Baal, which is good. Worshippers of Baal were required to sacrifice their first child. I imagine most of you love your first child. Your idol isn't Baal. Mine isn't either. But if you're looking for what your idol is, look for what you're willing to shout about. What will you scream over, sacrifice for? What would you stand in front of a crowd and shout about? There are a million good causes in the world, all kinds of things worth shouting about, things worth sacrificing for and arguing over, things that expect something from you and offer something back. Belonging, meaning whatever else it might be. So the answer to the exodus from the church, kids and youth say that church is fine, but it's nothing worth fighting for. It's not worth arguing about. It's a fine thing to do as long as you don't have anything better to do. A friend just got his Ph.D. from Princeton, and he had to do all this research. He did a bunch of interviews, parents and kids. And when he talked to the kids, they'd say, I go to church because it's important to my parents. But I'm always just a little bored. When he talked to the parents, they'd say, I go to church because it's important for my kids. But frankly, I'm always just a little bored. So... When a kid finds a sports team that offers them excitement, that expects them to grow, that depends on them to show up and play their best, well, that's worth something shouting about, worth sacrificing for. Replace sports team with band, group of friends, having a family, and right there you have the exodus from the church. The church didn't become evil, it just became meh. When someone finds something worth fighting for, why would they choose Meh. When Elijah looks out at this crowd that's gathered to see him slaughtered, he asks, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? They want to worship God. They want to worship Baal. And Elijah wants them to stop limping around. But here's why. Because they're leaning on Baal with half their weight and leaning on God with half their weight and they're drowning. 
Elijah is saying, listen, I don't care which you choose. Lean all the way on Baal. Lean all the way on God. Because if you lean all the way on Baal, you will realize he's never been holding you up. The reason you're drowning is because you've been halfway leaning on nothing. Then you can turn to God and believe. What might be most striking about this text to me is that Elijah doesn't blame any of the Israelites. He doesn't condemn them. He wants them to realize that they're hedging their bets by halfway leaning on the Savior of the world and halfway leaning on nothing. So he says, listen, get in or get out. If you get out, I don't blame you. You haven't seen what God can do, but I have. And I guarantee you, the world won't save you. I don't blame people for exiting the church either. A lot of church has become meh. But I do blame people, and myself included, for passively allowing it to continue. It's like the policy, don't complain about politics if you don't go vote. Well, if you're bored in church, come say something. If you see things you think our church should be doing, tell the session. People ask, does it mean the liturgy has to go? No. Does it mean the organ has to go? No. Other churches right now are asking if their guitars and drums have to go, do they? No. These are tools. The tools aren't broken. All Elijah had as a tool was his tired self smeared with dirt from the desert. And he starts building a pile of rocks. He lays out a bull on the altar. Then he decides that the odds of 450 to 1 weren't fair to the other guys. So he digs a trench around the altar and has people cover the whole thing in water, gallon after gallon of water. Then he calls out to the Lord, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that your people may know that you are God. And then the fire comes down. From heaven it rips through the air. It's so hot that people fall backward, and the fire consumes the burnt offering, it consumes the wood, it consumes the stones and the dust, even the water that had been dripping into the trench. I'm sure Elijah is nervous. When he goes to this confrontation, I'm sure he is. But when Elijah asks God to show up, he does. And all the people believe. They all look at the altar of Baal with that dead bull still lying on a pile of wood. And they look at the altar of God where the dust is still burning. Brian and I came to this church nervous. Nervous because we know the statistics. We're supposed to be a part of those as young adults, in fact. The numbers tell us that society has soaked our altar with water. 
gallon after gallon. And odds are that people will leave and they won't come back, starting with our youth. So we debated what curriculum to use and what to do. We also know that according to all the research on youth and their religious beliefs, the number one influence is their parents by a lot, followed by mentors, followed by friends. So we tried to figure out what the answer is and realized at some point that we had to stop asking the question, Coke or Pepsi? As we've been here, we've seen signs that at Scottsboro CPC, the dust is still burning. God's fire has touched this place. People here still pray, oh Lord God, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant. Answer me. The altar may not explode every day. Every Sunday may not be a confrontation between God and Baal. But every day, we should be able to at least see some of the dust still burning. The people who ran this massive study on youth and religion were sociologists at Notre Dame and Chapel Hill. Smart people. They had all this data, parents and mentors and friends, the influence of your denomination, how often you attend church. But there was one question that didn't fit the trend. One question in that 40-minute survey. Regardless of parental beliefs, regardless of previous church attendance, one answer that meant all bets were off. Have you had an experience of God? If the answer is yes, if you've seen the fire that burns the bull and the wood and the stones and the dust and even the water, you know, you know that you don't need to lean on ball. You can't. Have you had an experience of God? If the answer is yes, you don't join the mass exodus. Instead, you become an altar in the world that has been consumed by God's fire. And people can look at you and see that the dust is still burning. Have you had an experience of God? If the answer is no, I don't blame you. At some point, something else became worth fighting for, and God became meh. And that's our fault. We let the church become something not worth fighting for, but let me remind you this morning why it is. Because after six weeks of food for thought, a little girl cried every day until the end of school because we weren't still there. The dust is still burning. Because one little boy called his grandmother every day this past week at VBS to make sure that she would pick him up at 4.30 to bring him here. The dust is still burning. Because a group of ladies in this church have decided to make pillowcase dresses for little girls in Guatemala who wear rags to church. The dust is still burning. Because people get x-rays that show spots where there shouldn't be. Parents die. Accidents happen at work. And people show up at church needing to hear that there is a God of resurrection who is the great healer. There is an empty tomb. And in that tomb, the dust is still burning. 
because people are dying and little girls are left feeling ugly and boys aren't enough unless they can score a touchdown and people need a fire that burns hot enough to consume the shame, the guilt, the fear, the anger, the resentment. They need a fire that leaves the dust burning. So I'm calling for a showdown. Let the competition begin. Because I'm willing to fight for a church that is more than just meh. Bring me your idols. Bring me your idols of football, sports, family, first career, success, independence, being liked, being educated or sophisticated. Bring all your idols. I will bring mine too. And let's place our bets between 450 gods to one. We can dance and scream and shout, but when we need to be saved, our lives that are altars to these other idols will never be consumed by a fire that saves. Altars to Baal never do. As for the God of Israel, three thousand years later, the dust is still burning. Let us pray. Lord God, we see that you are the one true God of Israel. That it is only because of you that we can look around at our lives and this community, this church, and this world and see how you have touched it, how your fire has consumed us. Would you send us out as altars in this world so consumed by your fire that people look at us and see and see that there is one true God, that the mass exodus might stop first with us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.